A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast is not suitable for children and contains themes that some listeners may find upsetting. Participants' names have been changed to protect their identities. From Justice, Stories of Survival, with Edwina Grosvenor. We have to understand trauma because we have to understand that feelings come from that trauma and then behaviours come from those feelings. We have to change the question from what's wrong with her to what's happened to her. It is our job, I believe, in the prison system and really as humans in general to provide those safe spaces to allow people to tell their stories. I have seen women who have just... If nothing else, they've just told their story and it's changed them unbelievably. Four women, four stories, four tales of trauma from outside and inside prison. Obviously, for me, it was a big thing because I spoke to him things about, like, I'm speaking to you about what my husband did. And it's kind of like a an embarrassing thing you know you don't speak to people about your secrets and what happens behind closed doors it's almost like some a father's walked out on them and I I'm doing the same but I tried to make a better world for them but I couldn't you know this week Maya's story Maya was brought up in a strict Muslim family and had an arranged marriage as a teenager. She later suffered sexual and domestic violence over a number of years and ended up in court charged with loan fraud involving her ex-husband. The mum of four begins her story in the days leading up to her first court appearance. There was about seven, eight different small amounts of loan, 250 to 100, things like that. And um, eventually it got caught up. The people found out, the manager found out and sort of like, you know, I said, this is what happened and the police were involved and, you know, it just happened so quickly um, and I was, wherever state I was in, I got from bad to worse um, and stuck in a situation sort of like, what do I do? You know, do I say it's my husband? But if I say it's my husband, which is honest truth I'm he's gonna even hit me more are they gonna take him away this time Mm. you know you're fighting like this and I'm like and then eventually I said yes I you know I did it but I didn't you can check my house I didn't take the money so I passed it on to him so I didn't benefit anything the paperwork and everything I said yes these are the paperwork obviously I gave it back to the office and everything but obviously the police were involved and I was on bail 
he was caught into bail as well. And then he legged it. He escaped. He escaped. He didn't sort of like, um, I was expecting him home. And um, he he sort of didn't turn up. But it's sort of like, out of the blue, he's just sort of like, there was no messages or nothing. And I thought, what's going on? And I thought he's probably had another drug dose or something on the street. But this time, probably the police can pick him up and throw him into prison or something. You know, I'm just praying on that. I wasn't Mm. thinking about what's going on through with me. But no, days and, you know, and then obviously I had to keep on reporting back into bail, like as in they wanted more, so they trying to gather evidence and everything. Um, And... uh, at that time, I got myself a solicitor as well because I had no—I didn't know what else to do. Eventually, my parents found out because the police started talking to my family, wanted to know more information about me and stuff. You know, they try and do as much as possible. Um, and my parents found out, and they were like, "We don't want nothing to do with you." It was kind of like really? it just argued, as in like, you know, sort of like my eldest got taken away with from me. Um, Where did she go? She went back to my sort of like my husband's side of the family. Okay. And the uh, other three were with you. Be, uh, so then you must have been summoned to court. Yeah, I was summoned to court. Um, I The only person that would actually listen to me was my solicitor, was a male solicitor. Everything he asked me to do, I did. I said, like I'm speaking to you, you know, just saying everything from what happened to, uh, yes, I did it, but I... You know, you check my bank. I didn't get any coat or anything or a new car or anything. I didn't. I just gave the money to him. It was sort of like I'm owning up to that part, but like I didn't take the money. So my solicitor was like, "Well, you know, there was. It was just. It was just an ongoing thing because he didn't turn up for bail, and it was mm. just like, what have I done? You know. Um, and then they just lumped everything on me because they needed to get this out of the way. Okay. But. Just to backtrack a minute, so you're in court, the four children are in school. Three children. Three children because the eldest has eldest is gone. gone. But they don't know that you're in court. They're just at school. Yeah, I mean, I, I every time I go into court, sort of like my solicitor preps me up. So there's like a hearing and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just only a five, ten minute hearing and they can't get hold of my ex. X, so it's sort of like, okay, we'll hold it and do some more findings and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay. Then... Um, the day I went into court was, I didn't know what sentencing meant. Um, but my solicitor said, oh, today's the day that you'll find out. Um, two weeks beforehand, I went to see my probation um, and she was sort of like, yeah, we've got enough, you know, um, community order. This is what's going to happen. Um, and then not only that, I contacted the social services to say to them, this is what's happening. And I informed them that I don't know, I might go into prison, saying if I go into prison that I don't want my children going to my parents because of, look, what's happened to my eldest. But they, my probation officer said that I'm going to get a community order, but I'm letting you guys know because... No parents do that, I guess. They don't phone up the social services randomly. <laughs> right, so I you were getting to, on the front foot, foot and wanting yeah, to... I wanted it, I want make everything. Make sure you had it organised. Every, yeah, so I was organised. I wasn't sort of ashamed about it. I wanted to be responsible. Yeah. So I contacted them and it 
it was sort of like, okay, thank you for letting us know. And they came and did a home visit and they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, are you on any antidepressants? I said, no. They, they said, you should go on to antidepressants. This really? is social services. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? They, they pull the blame on. us. You're not us. on drugs, right. Well, no, maybe you should get on them. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, just because I said, oh, I can't sleep at night because of... Um, you know, all this, this must be so depressing. Of course it's depressing. I can't sleep yeah. at night. But how are you managing? Doesn't mean to say you need to I even, I mean, while the period of being um, on bail and everything that's going on, I end up getting a job, you know. I I carried on. Mm. I carried on like a soldier, like I did. And all the time, I never got myself down and said, oh, this is the end of me. I carried on and I marched it through. I listened to everyone um, and... You know, I still had kids to feed. Who's going to feed me? I still, I was still paying the rent. I, housing benefit didn't support me. I didn't rely on the government. I was a soldier. You know, husband's dropped off. He, he doesn't earn no more. I've lost the other job. I needed to get a job. I was carried on. I needed to get out there and do what I needed to do, despite whatever's going on in the background. And my solicitor was like, you know, you're very organised. I said, I have to be organised because if I don't do it, who's going to do it for my kids? I can't see no one doing it. Um, so I, I phoned up the social services, got them ready, spoke to the probation. They were like, community service order. And I said, OK, that means I can still keep my house, but come and do my time outside. And she yeah. went all through it with me. And the solicitor said to me, this hearing happened, a mention hearing or something. And he said, at this hearing, what I'd like you, if you plead guilty... You can get a lesser sentence, you won't get into prison and you'll have a community service order and everything like that. And I was like, and it was almost like a um, a jail-free card, you know, thrown at you. And plus, because I'm so worried about like financial stuff. And he said, if you have to go, for, if you don't plead guilty, you have to go for his trial and then it, things will cost like over £10,000. And I was like, oh, I'll have to end up paying it. So what's my what's what 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 option do I choose? Mm. I went for okay. I'm guilty then. I'm guilty. I took the money. I I, I, I all I've said was I'm responsible for doing it, but I didn't take the money. Mm. I didn't use it for my. I gave passed it on, and you know I'm I am wrong. I did something wrong. I know I'm wrong. You know, but he's to blame as well. And so you sat in court. You and I pled I, guilty. Yeah. I pled guilty and I expected sort of like, okay. So I went back, came back home and then um, then it was the sentencing hearing the month a week after. Right. And the barrister was like, well, have you done any arrangements at home? And I said, yeah, I've notified the social services, but I am going to come out and community service order. And he didn't look impressed. And I was sort of like, and it was sort of like a five-minute chit-chat with the solicitors. So the day of my sentencing hearing, I... Um, Parked, well, dropped kids off to three different schools. Um, and um, I'm supposed to be due back to go to work um, in the evening. <laughs> so um parked my car outside the court for two hours, time slot, and went in and I was like, okay. Didn't know I was going into prison or anything like that. So went in and it was sort of like a 10-minute a boom, sort of go in. And the judge asked my name and everything, and he said, okay. And I can't exactly remember what he said. All I can remember was sort of like what he said about my ex-husband and that, you know, um, he tried to make an example out of me. And three years, 
put me down. And all I remember was the three years and there was two female prison officers on both sides. And I just looked at them and it's sort of like, at that moment of my life, I think I almost lost the English language, the language of my secrets. It's sort of like, someone explained to me what this all means. Mm. Is it? Is it, it's like those big powerful words coming out for someone so high. You've made a decision about my life, my house, my kids. You stripped me off to everything down to my core, like my mothering skills to me being a daughter to everything. You've made a decision for three years. Um, it, I, I needed someone to translate what you said to me at that time because... I just when I went downstairs, I thought, it's, I'm such an organised person. I've got seconds to organise my kids right now. And the first thing that came into my head was like, my kids. I didn't tell them, I didn't hug them, I didn't. Their food, their back lunches, their everything. Sorry. It's okay. Solicitor came down and I looked at him and he said, you told me to plead guilty. You told me I wasn't going in. So it's like at that point, um, the officer came down, the detective, and he, and I said, um, I said, my car's outside and I gave him my car keys and I said, can you just drive it back home? Um, And I gave him my house keys. I'm like... I've trusted these guys. I'm so, like, I feel I've been so honest with them. Handing back my key, house keys and saying I, I needed to give them to my landlord. And it was, I had a rush of all the things that I needed to do, like, d- 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 just come in kids, social services. Oh, don't worry, social services are informed. And then it was just so different. Um it was like a head rush, you know, you had to make decisions instantly and I didn't phone up anyone and I knew that my second eldest will break down because she's she's a quiet girl and I, it's almost like some a father's walked out on them and I, I'm doing the same. <laughs> But I tried to make a better world for them, but I couldn't, you know. And it didn't help. So I I handed a few things. I collected. I was only allowed to take a few belongings, like whatever I had in my handbag. And I gave a few phone numbers, but obviously they were just schools. Um, and I sat in the cell crying and blaming myself. And then I started blaming my solicitor, sort of like it goes in through your head. Um, like it's like a blaming game. But then it was, you, you start to sort of uh, wonder, like, you know, the explanations that you're going to give to your children of where am I going? Uh, so solicitor, no, he just said goodbye to me and it was like, it was almost like, here's your work, now you deal with it, you know? And um, So never to be seen again? Never was to. Was that the last time that, you saw him? That's it. 
that's it. It was kind of like, uh, it's another man. <laughs> it's another man, you know, someone you trust your entire life and you open up and you tell your stories, everything that happened to you, your things that you shouldn't speak to people about. <laughs> And obviously for me, it was a big thing because I spoke to him things about, like I'm speaking to you about what my husband did. And it's kind of like an embarrassing thing. You know, you don't speak to people about your secrets and what happens behind closed doors. But I did, I trusted him. You know, I guess, I guess he wanted the, best for me but then I just thought it was then I realised when I was in prison that he was just doing a ticking ticking box exercise I guess From Justice you're listening to Stories of Survival with Edwina Grosvenor tales of trauma from outside and inside prison Today we're hearing Maya's story what happened to your children on the day that you were sentenced? Uh, you were taken down to the yeah. court cell below the court, uh, and what what happens to them at school? How do they get told? Got, they weren't told. It was almost like I only found out um, afterwards when I got my children back. They didn't tell me this. What happened to them while they were seeing me? When my children came back to me, they told me like especially my um, second elder, she was like, Mum, this is what happened. We waited for an over an hour for you and you didn't turn up. So, and I was always there. Like, I used to rush back from work to go and pick my kids up because I was the only thing. And and she said that. I was just like, it was you. (laughs) She said she... We waited an hour for me and then she waited in the head teacher because the head teacher was informed by the social services and the head teacher took her in and then someone came around and picked that four three of them up and they were taken back to the offices and then they had to find emergency foster care but they couldn't they found childminder um and they were taken back and she said oh, I loved it there it was nice and she was upset she took her phone she had a phone and while I was in prison I couldn't sort of call her it was um because you had to have credit and stuff I didn't know all this uh, you know and and I remember um when I managed to get her phone number registered and I called her and I managed to speak to her and all I can go was are you okay I just come out with have you eaten everything I'm so sorry and then she all I could hear was sobbing and and I said I'm so sorry just listen to the social workers (laughs) listen to the social workers at that time and it was it was almost like because she was upset I guess the child might have picked up that I phoned and I was told not to phone her again like I've done something wrong with my kids. I'm being punished. So what? It's like double crimes. You know, what have I exactly done? I just it was in my head, but when I when I was in when I went the first day, um, I was in a cell room by myself and I 
started. This is like normal, I guess. And there were so many other women. This is inside the prison. Yeah. So many other women. All different. From different countries. And, you know, some, some people are in the same sort of dress and some people are not. Um, and I was given a bag of toiletries and stuff like that. And I... And, and some pen and, you know, like, you know, I got some paper and I started from then that day, I started making a list of people I need to inform. And in my head, all I could think of is like, I need to speak to someone who's going to listen to me. So the next day they have like um, people who deal with children, sort of like they have children on the outside. And I'm putting in a request of like, you know, my crime, what I committed to, you know, what I, you know, I need to be in touch with my children and this, this, this. And, but things just got left, um, kind of stuck because you're in prison now. No one's going to listen to you. Who's going to listen to you? The next day I, they, because I was kind of very, very upset. They put me in a room with another woman. She was lovely. Another sort of, she was Muslim as well. Um, and she had kids, so I could relate to her. And we both cried. It was kind of comforting, I guess. Um, it, was, it was a nice prison for me. I mean, now I could say it was a Butlin's holiday camp for me because I loved it. Um, because life on the outside, because that's something obviously we hear, don't we? Trotted out in the media that these places are holiday camps, but... It's in comparison to what you've had at home. So yeah, I mean, in that sense, I guess it was what a relief for you to be there or? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It, I guess it was like, no one was telling me what to do. I could actually, first time, I just actually can think of myself. 
eat by myself, apart from the kids, that killed me. For the first few months, it sort of, I was sobbing. You know, my kids would take, went to three different foster carers. They were split up. So they didn't even have each other? No. It was it was killing me and me writing thousands of letters to the social services, you know, after when they told me to stop calling my daughter, then everything got, it took a, about a month for everything to put be put in place of like, okay, I'm in, I'm in prison now, kids are in care, this is how the communication once a week or twice a week, I will phone at this time and it, it took a month to arrange all that. Um, and then eventually, sort of like, it started, it's, you know, they went to the second foster care, but they treated them so badly. Um, my eldest had to start looking after um, my youngest. It was kind of really, and they were got told off. And every time they used to come and see me once a month in prison, they would sob and say, Mum, she's treating like us, this. And they would never tell the social worker at her, um, in foster care. So the person that brought them up, the supervisor, she noted all this because my kids never used to come out in front of them. They was t- telling me everything and I said, why isn't something doing about it? So I used to write lots of letters to social services. Why isn't something? Eventually, they got had a good placement in their third, third foster care. And... Um, um, How old were they by this point, by the time they got to the third foster carer? I think my the second eldest was about ten, and my parents pinched my son at that point as well because they were like, "Well, this is within the month when I went into prison." Sort of like, obviously, the social services have to inform everyone. I have that that's in place so they inform my parents and my parents are take him sort of like and then they just they just transferred him up to my ex-husband's family sort of like we'll take him and sort of like but then I didn't want no contact with my parents at all so it's kind of like I had two and I lost two um trying to sort of I said and the the second eldest and the youngest, they sort of like, no, we don't want to go back to grandparents. We don't. We want. We want to see mum because I knew the game. I knew. I sort of um, knew what what my parents could get up to, and I made it quite clear to sort of like my second eldest, look, this is what happens, and when you can't see him, we can't. I can't see him. Just you know, bear with me. But at that point, also, since I went in. The Inside Times made a major life sort of thing in my head. I used to read it daily. I said, there's a chance What's of What's Inside Time? It's a newspaper. It's amazing, um, you know, people appealing against their sentences. And me being an uneducated woman, sort of like, OK, now I need to get the ball rolling. This is my time to shine. I want to just come on, change this now, because I've been, I've been reading stories of how you know like for the crime that I was committed the fraud you know people got lesser sentences and stuff like that how come I got three years and so I looked into and I just went to a solicitor wrote my everything and they got their uh, my I wrote the firm uh, the solicitors that I had before 
to get, you know, pass on the papers and everything. They looked at everything and they said, yeah, you've got a good chance of appealing against a sentence. So within three months, I was like, this is happening. I was sorting out my kids as well as my, you know, appeal. And eventually I went to the Royal Courts of Justice and I was like, this is like, this is, I could be released. <laughs> you know, yeah. I opened my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you must have felt fairly scared at the same time because you'd been there before and put your trust in these people. Yeah. And they and let you down so tragically. I, I, I guess it, since I went in, I guess it's sort of like you find, you start finding your own voice. And when you start finding your own voice and you start looking at other women who are in there for petty things, it's not like, it's like only about 4% of women that actually done serious serious murder crimes come on they're the other there's the most like 40 percent are in like for drug related are they in the right place i don't think they're in the right place self-harming i was like i was actually like because i've never had this life before and i've come into something like such as such a horror movie you know you it's live in front of me and you know i'm in the same block as a lady who actually was eventually done for paedophile you know and you're like wow you know but you have to eat from the same table you know you you have to talk to each other and it's knowing the person it's actually knowing they're actually a person they're human beings but like there's people in there's women in there for immigration offenses come on each it's like, why is it? It's like, okay, you've done wrong. Now prison's the next. It's like you're, you know, you're getting punished in prison for immigration offences. I'm sure mm. there's other facilities out there that can sort this matter out. And it's like, I even wrote to the Prime Minister at the time. Who was it? David Cameron. I wrote a letter to him about what happened to me. I wrote to Kenneth Clark. Chief Justice, so I wrote to him. Did you get any replies? No replies. And From anyone? No, because all the women that I spoke to to get their addresses off, they wrote to them too. <laughs> right. So, it, you know, like, I think the only answer is that you have to sort of have patience in you and just, just keep on sending, sending, writing, writing to get one day someone will listen to me. It's almost like the crime that I committed was nothing to do with sort of like my house sort of like I sorted out my house you know but my house getting taken away and the kids and everything and I was like god I just only did something wrong and I'm getting punished for everything yeah and surely prison should be about keeping society safe from violent people yeah and the risk that you posed to harm others was clearly minimal I, I don't so know it leaves you sort of asking the question, doesn't it? What on earth is the justice system doing, presiding over these sorts of injustices? It, yeah, it, it just makes you wonder why, you know, I was like, there's women in there who are six, seven months pregnant. And like some of the, some of the I, I guess women sometimes, they do exaggerate what they're in there for, um, you know, but... Like when you sort of put things together and you think, really, is this the place for you? It, 
is it having a baby and then bringing the baby back I mean and taking the baby into care yeah and then most of the women just like because of the the crimes that they committed most of the kids are ended up because you only have a certain amount of time that the kids can stay in care until they get adopted and the second day I was in prison my the social worker that I spoke to and who I fondly loved and I said to her you know I'm this is what's going to happen and you know if this happens this is what I'd like you to do came back to me in prison and said I'm sorry but I'm just to let you know that your kids are going to be put up for adoption this is the second day in prison it hit me it hit me that someone who I trusted on the outside who could turn around and say that to me I mean and when I said to her, why didn't you tell me this before I came in? She goes, I just only found out now. Who gave you this job? It's crazy how actually, 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 I feel like I'm not the uneducated one. You are, you know, because it is kind of like you just, and I, when I told her that, and then she goes, well, I only found out my manager's just told me now. And, I, and at that point, I just turned around and said, I just feel like killing myself. What? And because I said that, now I'm under mental health, like oh I've lost the plot. Can't anyone say that? Am I going to literally do that? Oh, and it was noted, Dan, I, she wanted to kill herself. Because I said that because oh it was almost... God. Yes, it is. It is crazy. I mean, Just because you laugh, I said, you cry, you... I mean, I mean you say stupid things. I mean, like, but... She, well, goddamn, she took it to heart. She did, and she, that got written down everywhere. And because I said that, now I'm an unfit mother. Oh my god, how did I manage to have four labors, you know, four babies, and I'm just classed as an unfit mother because I just said that was my reply to her, uh, what she said. Wouldn't any other mum say that? So you, you just lost trust. In everyone, when you go into prison, you've lost trust because you lost your trust in the solicitors, the social workers, everyone, even your own family. And you think, OK, I'm I'm the only person left now that's going to trust myself. I have to love myself. And that's what I did. I piled on the pounds, basically. <laughs> um, but I was like, eventually, the appeal that I put through, um, uh, they took... Um, they took a year off my sentence. So at least I got a year off. So I got two years, but I did, I served seven and a half months. I couldn't ask for anything more, but all because my ex-husband's on the run, you know, and that's the whole case that I couldn't get transferred to any other prisons because if I did, it would be more open and my sort of like, I had a lot of sort of, because of the HPV in what's age on a base violence so mm. you know if people tried to sort of come in and sort of do something to me and stuff like that so they kept me in a high secure prison they won't move me around can i just i knew that i was out in a certain months but i needed to become the good person that knew me you know what were the staff like staff were um they're amazing they're absolutely amazing, you know. I, I'm, I don't think most women will agree with me, but they put up with our screaming, our shouting, our swearing. Not me, but I've seen with my own eyes and I've heard. It's, it, they're, they're so much nicer than the police officers outside here. I mean, officers outside here, they just like, they got, 
they got no respect at all or what they're dealing with. Um, they just want to do their job. Inside is a totally different officer. They could be a male or female. And every time I saw a male officer, I almost wanted to sort of cover my, like, you know, I was so, like, I felt I've dealt with male solicitors and I've dealt with this. And I can't just, you're not going to understand. But I just felt respected for once. I was valued. And I worked my way up doing loads of qualifications in there and jobs and stuff. And I was the sort of... Um, teaching assistant and I did my petals and everything obviously out here it doesn't matter these qualifications mm. but in there it mattered something to me that I couldn't achieve nothing outside I wanted to and I couldn't and within seven and a half months I came out with qualifications coming out of my ears and I was sending homework to my children by post um I was sending pictures and colourful drawings and making cards and bracelets for my children. And every time they came up, I got things packed together so um, they could take home. And I got books and I did the CD for them and everything, yeah. anything that was available. And how did that change? Because you said to begin with, you were told, right, you can't speak to your children anymore because you're upsetting them and they're being sent off for adoption. How did that change? Because it sounds like then you ended up having quite a, well not a great relationship but as good as you could I have from inside every, the walls. Sort of every month I was um, I had to travel down to the county court um, and they they kept on digging me up you know digging files digging things up or has she got any previous in her past and their fences and and they were like I just anything they asked me to do I did so I agreed you know I agreed to like okay do the family course do this course do that course um, and then, you know, they kept a lot. We have to do doctor search records, do this, do that. And I was like, you carry on because I'm here. This is me. And if I got anything to hide, I would tell you. But I don't know what you want me to say. So they kept on doing that. Um, even when I left prison, they were sort of like, we need to do this. this is our fate. Um, I came out um, after seven and a half months, which I didn't want to. But the only reason why I came out was because of the kids. I, they needed me. So when you say you didn't want to, elaborate on that. Because, of course, being separated from the children nearly killed you. Yeah. And you wanted to get back to them. But what was it about prison? It was... Because prison is an extreme it, environment. So what was it actually for you that it was made, positive? The positive thing was that even though it hit, I was at the lowest, I couldn't go any lower than that. Was at the lowest point of my life, but it made me who I am today. Um, it it's made me. It gave gave me a new identity. Gave my voice to speak about it today. Um, but not just my voice. Like I just, it is something in there that I could actually it's my time it was my time it was my time that made me my time to think about me not to do the chores not to run round no one to scream at me and there and there were very nice girls in there that sort of needed my help writing letters and I felt really great in that for once I could actually, like, 
you know, you when you when you're in a violent relationship and you always beat yourself up thinking that you're never good. And when someone actually asks for your help and you've actually achieved something, such amazing thing that happens inside you, actually like being acknowledged, actually recognise that you've done this much to achieve this. And it's like even I was writing letters for other women for to their social workers, someone who's illiterate, um, who can't speak English. I was trying to get her children to come and see her in prison. And all these months she couldn't get any answers because she couldn't communicate. And I was doing that. I was doing her letters, trying to force them to come in. And so they eventually she got what she wanted. And for me, that was just an amazing feeling of actually helping someone. And it started off from there. Do you think that, as I said, prison's such an extreme um, environment. Uh, do you think that actually you could have had that safety and that positivity within the community with your children around you without yeah. having to be separated? Because that's such, again, such a violent act in itself. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. But, I mean, prison is obviously, it's, it, it is another world. You miss... You miss the noises of everything. You only can just hear actually the birds, but that's it. But outside, I would have had, I would have been normal. It, I could have achieved what I achieved in prison. I wouldn't have lost my house. I could have kept my house, still kept my kids. You know, all these care proceedings wouldn't have taken three years. Um, and you could have been punished in inverted commas in a, in a yeah, different way in a different way I'm I even said to David Cameron at the time in my letter I said you know the city council didn't pick up the bins for two weeks because they're on strike I'm happy to pick up the bins I, I, I even wrote that on my letter I said I'm happy to pick up all the bins in my car and to, for no money or nothing I would do anything just to stay out just get me out you know, your voice has a limit of going anywhere. Because he just ignored my letters and thought like I was another offender wanting to scream. <laughs> I feel we haven't seen or heard the last of you. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeah, um, and I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story That's today okay. because I know it's really hard and thank I feel honoured to have been sat here listening to you and sharing it with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. You can see clearly through Maya's story how the system has a habit of traumatising, re-traumatising, traumatising again, again and again and again. And I think if we're going to lead systems to become trauma-informed and to take trauma into account, not only for the woman, but also for the children, we need to look at what we can do differently. It's not acceptable that our systems that should be there to care and protect are actually traumatising the people that they should be caring for. Next time on Justice. What I find was that 
Judges weren't even asking if there were children when they were sentencing somebody to prison. Edwina talks to barrister and criminologist Dr Shona Minson about the thousands of children abandoned by the system every year when their parents go to prison. In worst case scenarios, the children were maybe at school and the first they would know of it would be when mum or dad didn't come to pick them up at the end of the day. And there are about 17,000 children a year as a, a pretty low estimate mm. of how many children actually lose their mum to prison. That's Dr Shona Minson in conversation with Edwina Grosvenor on the next Justice Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with One Small Thing. For more information, go to onesmallthing.org.uk. Look for Justice and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Justice is an MIM production. For more information, go to madeinmanchester.tv. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.